The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. What I'm going to need from you this morning is I'm going to need you to put your thinking caps on, okay? I'm going to need you to work with me here. You say, man, I wasn't in for that this morning. Well, you need to be, all right? You need to be because what we're approaching in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 to 31, is probably the hardest passage to interpret in all of Galatians. And so I don't know if you uh, read ahead. Uh, Maybe if you did read ahead, you wouldn't have showed up. You said, that doesn't make sense. I'm not coming. But it does make sense. And I I do not want to be like many of the commentators that I read or sermons that I listened to of of people that I trust. I would hear them say things like, yes, this is very hard, but as you dive into it, it's the most important or it's just the best. It seems to be the common theme when a passage is really difficult Uh, that pastors will say, but if you would just dive in, you'll see this is the best part. I'm not willing to say that this morning, uh, that it's the best part, but it is good. And we're going to see some truths in there that we need to understand and that we, and that we need to know, but it does cause us to think. All right. And so we're going to approach this the, the best way that we can and see the great joy in studying God's word together. So follow along with me as we look at Galatians chapter four, verse 21 through 31. It says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, our children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free Uh, What I hope we see this morning, I've got four points here to this message, but the first one is a little off the other ones, but I want us to see an historical account that Paul goes to in speaking to this church. We're going to see the meaning of the historical account, why he brings that up, and then how we apply that, how we must apply that to our lives. And and Paul does that for us here. But first off in verse 21, Uh, Paul says something that I feel like I would say, and so I appreciate him saying this. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Remember, Paul was dealing with a church here, but not just a church. He's dealing with people who have infiltrated the church, the Judaizers of who we spoke of often, who are starting to tell this church that they must obey parts of the law in order to receive God's grace. They must be circumcised and some other things in order to be a part of the family of God. And Paul is trying to even debate them and speak against that, against this. 
And so knowing this, Paul must be wise in how he refutes their claims because he knows that the Judaizers are well-trained men, that they know God's word, they, they know what it says. And so they are, they're gonna take parts of scripture out and that's what they're speaking to this church. And so Paul knows that he's gonna need to go to the word of God to refute their claims. He has to do that. And so he says a question to them, which basically reads this way. You who claim to know the word of God, do you not really know what the word of God says? Do you really know what it's saying? You're sitting here teaching it. You're sitting here talking about it. You're sitting here using it to try to prove your point. Do you really know what the law says? Do you really know what is being taught in God's word? Now, this might seem harsh, but it is a valid question to pose because of how out of bounds they really were. This is a question that I think we need to ask ourselves very often. Do I know God's word? And what I'm reading, is this true? I need, to, I need to balance it well and not to sit here and think that I have all the answers all the time. Not, not to think that I know everything perfectly and to understand that, you know what? I might be wrong on this issue or I might be wrong here. And so always trying to go back to God's word to say and praying, God, speak to me through your word. Help me to see the truth of your word, to study it true. And to be honest, as a, as a pastor, as somebody who has people come to them with questions a lot, I'm not gonna lie. This question comes to my mind quite often with others. They'll come and pose a question, and this is what I think. Do, don't you know what God's word says? You've been a member here for 50 years. You've been a Sunday school teacher, or, or you've been this, and, and this is a question that you're wondering, or this is something that you're believing to be true. Don't you know God's word and what it says and the truth of it? And so what Paul does here is he uses the Torah. He uses uh, what the Judaizers would have been holding on to to teach them the truth of God's word. And he does this by going back to Abraham of who we've already talked about and we'll talk about again this morning. But to bring out this point in verse 21 is I think the challenge for us is to make sure we know God's word. We have to know the truths of his word and we cannot be carried about by every wind and every little thing that comes our way and be blown over. And when we don't know God's word like we, like we should know it, that is what happens. All of a sudden, a false teacher will come in, start saying some things, and it messes everything up. Why? Because we don't know God's word like we need to. We're not grounded in it, in it like we should. And so uh, one, of the, one of the difficult things too. Uh, if, if you've ever tried to spiritually mentor anybody or anything like that, is, is someone will come and say, I'm kind of interested in this and I think I'm going to read this book or I'm going to do this. And what you have to understand is I can't just tell you don't read that book because what you're going to ask is why not? And what I feel like I need to do is this. Well, well turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis. I got to walk you through some things. I can't just sit there and say that author's bad. You're going to ask me why. And then I'm going to have to walk you through some things. Say, oh, because I, I think that's a sheep, or I think that's a wolf in, in sheep's clothes. But, but I got to point it out to you because you got to understand the basics of what you don't understand yet. And so we need to take this question that Paul asked to the church, to our hearts as well. You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear it? 
Do you know what it says? If you're going to walk around this world and say that you are a Bible-believing Christian, do you know what it says? If someone approaches you and says, well, then why do you believe that abortion is wrong? Do you know how to biblically respond to that? Of why we think that is important? Why we think that's something that we hold on to? That life is precious? We have to be able to do that. So Paul goes on in verse 22 through 23 to show them how they don't know the law like they think they do. So let's read 22 and 23 again. It says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise. This is a historical account that Paul gives us in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, Genesis 12, really, through 21, 22, something like that, to get the full account of this story. We see the birth of Ishmael. The birth of Ishmael is found in Genesis chapter 16. You see, God had promised to Abraham and to Sarah a son, that they would have a baby, but it was not happening. It was not working. Sarah was old. Abraham was old. And so what Sarah decided is Sarah said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to, in essence, give God a little nudge here. I'm going to help God out. And I'm going to figure out a way for this to happen. And so what Sarah did is Sarah went to Abraham and she said, here is my maidservant. Lie with her and have a child with her. And this will be the child because Sarah said, I I can't, I can't give you a child. So Abraham did that. He laid with the maidservant and a child was born, and this child is Ishmael. Well, then in Genesis 21, if you were to look in Genesis 21, we see the birth of Isaac to Sarah and Abraham. And so what had happened is God was not pleased with Sarah's little plan that she had devised, and Abraham too, he was just as guilty. And he said, no, I promised you too a child, and from you will be my descendants, will be the descendants uh, that God had been talking about. And so God blessed them and we see a baby being born and we've got to understand the miracle of this birth. Sarah wasn't just old. It was literally impossible for her to have a child. She was past the time of having children. Sarah herself says, I'm worn out. That's the, that's the words that she uses. I, I'm, I'm worn out. I'm unable. I'm, un, I'm, I'm not capable of having a child. But God, through a miracle, allows them to have a child. And so what we see here, the picture that Paul is painting for us here is we have two sons, both of the children born naturally, born naturally, but of different means. We have Ishmael who was born of man's initiative. And what this represents, and when we look at this, what Paul wants us to see is this represents the works of the law. This represents works righteousness. This represents Man trying to do the work that only God can do. And we see that in Sarah doing that. And so that's what Ishmael represents. That's what the child of the bondwoman represents is being born into bondage in the flesh under man's initiative. And Paul is then comparing that to Isaac, the son that was born to Abraham and to Sarah, but born under God's initiative. No work of man that could be done a complete miracle that this child was able to be born, was able to have life. And this represents God's promise of righteousness. This represents the new covenant. This represents the new promise. 
I don't know how often you read your Bible. I hope you know this much about your Bible. You know it's separated into two categories. Old Testament and New Testament. That word testament could also be old covenant and new covenant. And that's what Paul is showing us here. You have an old covenant, this this works righteousness, man's initiative thing, versus Isaac, who was born under God's initiative, God's promise. And so one of the important points that Paul is making here, which he's made throughout Galatians, is the importance of divine initiative that brings life to us. The only thing that can bring spiritual life. Our spiritual state is not something that you can produce or that I can produce. I, I cannot wake up in the morning and say, God, today is the day I grow closer to you, so, so get ready for it. It's going to happen today. A sinner does not wake up in the morning apart from God and say, you know what? I think today's the day I find God. I think today is the day I start my relationship with God. You're welcome, God. It doesn't happen that way. That's not how it works. When we try to earn our salvation, when we try to earn a relationship with God by human means, all we get is human results. That's all that we'll produce. We receive bondage. We receive slavery. We receive no inheritance whatsoever because that is the result of human work, just like Ishmael. Ishmael was no longer an heir. Ishmael had no promises given to him. Ishmael was born into bondage. He was born into slavery. And we'll see this more in a little bit. There was nothing that he could ever do to get out of it because it was being done by man's initiative. When we finally trust in God's means of salvation and we, we wait upon him, we wait upon his promises, we get his results. We get freedom. We get joy that is everlasting. We receive an inheritance. We have an abundance. See, these words are very different than what is provided when we have human initiative. Well, in verse 24 through 27, Paul goes on to talk about the meaning of this. And it can get confusing. He starts talking about mountains, uh, Hagar's named, all these different things. I want to try to break this down for us the best that we can. We see two covenants here and we see two mothers here. And I, I should have made a chart and I apologize for not doing that to put on the screen to maybe help those who are a little more visual in learning. But he starts to compare Hagar and he starts to compare Sarah, the two mothers of these children. Hagar, the old covenant, law, slavery. Sarah, again, new covenant, promise, chosen wife, chosen spouse, right, of of Abraham. And so with Hagar, you have this old covenant, this law, the slavery again, and he talks about Mount Sinai. This is where the law was given. And if you want to think about it geographically, because some people would go here, Mount, Mount Sinai was surrounded by Ishmael's family, all of his descendants. So it represents Ishmael. Mount Sinai represents Ishmael. And that's where the law was given down to the people of Israel. Also, Hagar is talked about as the present Jerusalem in those passages. The present Jerusalem that he would have been talking about being wrapped up in the law. This is where the Judaizers had come from. And so one of the the key feathers in the Judaizers hat would have been just this. Hey, we come from Jerusalem. Look at this letter. It comes from the people of Jerusalem. This is the biggest town. This is the most important town, right? This shows our importance. And now what Paul is saying is, whoa, 
Jerusalem is wrapped up in old covenant. Jerusalem is wrapped up in the law, is wrapped up in, in works. That's not something to be happy about. Jerusalem represents the rejection of God's gift in Christ. So, so you're pointing back to Jerusalem. That doesn't mean anything here. So the Judaizers had to be taken back by hearing this. The point that I think Paul is trying to say is that anybody living by the law, anybody who continues to trust in the law for their salvation is really trusting in Hagar's child, is really trusting in slavery, not the child of promise, of which he compares then to Sarah. Because in Sarah, we have the new covenant. Sarah was always free, was always free. When you think about Mount Sinai, you think of thou shalt do this, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this also. But when you think about the new covenant and you think about Sarah, the, the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt turn into, I have set you free. I have redeemed you. I do love you. I am your God. These are very different statements that we have here. And so we desire to live, and this is what Paul is pointing out to them, is through God's grace, you are a child of Sarah, not Hagar. You're not born into slavery. Do not go back into that way of life. You are born under the promise, under Isaac. You are spiritually free. And he mentions in here also, if you look at verse 26, it says, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. The Jerusalem above, this represents the city that is being prepared even now for the true family of God. The, the one of promise that, that Jesus himself has promised us that there will be a, a new Jerusalem, that this, this Jerusalem that we can even look to today, that maybe many of you look to very often and you know is just riddled with problems all throughout it. It's constantly being fought in wars and political battles, all these different things. When we look at that Jerusalem, the promise that we have from Jesus is that there is a new Jerusalem that is being built for us that is coming one day. And this is the Jerusalem that is ours as being a part of the family of God. This Jerusalem supersedes the earthly one. It supersedes the earthly one. The one on earth is always gonna be in battle. The one that is coming will never be in battle. It's already been won. This is why Paul then goes on to quote Isaiah 54 verse one there in uh, verse 27. Look, it says, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, Paul is quoting the Isaiah, speaking to, to Israel here. And it's a promise that out of Israel is going to come the descendants of God. And they're looking around to the cities around them and the, the good things that are happening there. And this is a reminder, no, it's, it's gonna come from Israel. And when you look at the words being used here, it's so reminiscent of Sarah, barren, desolate, and the promise being made. I know you're barren, I know you're desolate. But God says, but you're my chosen one. You're the one that I am going to use. That stuff doesn't matter to me. Saying the same thing to Israel. 
You're barren. You seem desolate. No, but you're my chosen. Out of you is going to come the one who we know is Jesus, is Jesus Christ, who's able to give us life, who's able to birth us from slavery, to free us from slavery. When you get down to verse 28 and into verse 31, we see how we apply this then to our life. And I really think this section is very difficult and also very, very challenging. Let's read it again. It says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So again, being, being a child of promise under Isaac, the important point that Paul's making there. Verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. One of the things that we see in verse 28 through 31 is that the works of man are always going to be fighting with the free gift of God. It has always took place and it always will take place until Christ returns. In Genesis chapter 21, verse eight through 10, we see the account of Isaac being born. And I wanna read a portion of it to show you uh, the truth of what's being said in this passage. It says, and the child grew and was weaned. This was Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. That'd be Ishmael. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Seems pretty harsh, but as you look at this passage, what you see in Genesis 21, uh, verse 8 and 9, is Ishmael mocking Isaac. That word there, laughing, can also be mocking or or ridiculing. Ishmael already had enmity against Isaac. And so he's mocking Isaac. He's, He's ridiculing Isaac here. Again, you have the son born of slavery, mocking and ridiculing the son born of promise. To this very day, this seems to continually be the case. And that's what Paul is bringing up. He's saying these Judaizers who are coming into this church, who are trying to tell you that you must obey the law, they are like Ishmael, mocking the free gift of God's grace. That is what they are doing. And today that is still very evident in churches, in church life. They'll say that's too easy. This must be done. You must prove it. This this must happen. And that's not true. The gift of God is a gift. It's a free gift of grace that he pours out on sinners that saves us, that saves our soul. Now, will that have ramifications on us? Of course. Is it going to impact how we act? Yes, most definitely it better. But I don't have to act a certain way in order for it to happen. I don't have to have that happen. I don't have to sustain it either for it to have happened. It's by God's love. It's by God's grace that he does this work, but yet the religious still want to mock the free gift. They hate those who trust in the work in Jesus above all else. 
They fight against those who push for Jesus above everything else. And the instructions that God has given us is a very difficult task. It's a very difficult instruction to hear because as we are people who want to love, as we are people who want to care, and that's what we should be as Christians, the words that are used are difficult because it says, cast those out. Cast those voices out. Maybe as I read that account in Genesis, you are like me and you say, Sarah, you are mean. You're actually downright rude. This is your fault. This is your plan. And now when your child is born, all of a sudden you're all jealous because the child of the maidservant is mocking and laughing at your child. And so your decision is get rid of them, cast them out, send them out of here. The heart of us might say, no, that's wrong. No, that's, that's way too harsh. That's not something that should be done. But here's the problem. The problem with thinking that way is verse 11 and 12 of that Genesis account. You ready? Let's read it. It says, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the account of his son. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. No doubt he loved his son. No doubt at one time he thought this is the son. This is the promised one that God has given me. And so Abraham's heart is completely broken over what his wife is telling him to do. But then look at verse 12. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Well, this is something that we have to reconcile when we look at God and we say that God is a loving God. We have to answer the question, well, then why in the world would God send these people out? Because sending these people out wasn't sending them into a good life. It wasn't, Abraham, give them a good chunk of money so that they're gonna survive. Or, you know what, Abraham, build them a house over there on the other side of that hill and check on them every once in a while. No, it was cast out. Nothing, you have nothing. Go, get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. You're not welcome here anymore. It's like, it's like the sad stories of the movie where you're throwing rocks at your dog. Get out of here. I don't love you anymore. I don't want you anymore. Get away from here. Why would God do that? Why would a loving God tell Abraham that it's his job to cast out his son and to cast out his son's mom? It's because that wasn't the plan of God ever. Man's initiative, the work that man thought they had to do had, had no place in God's kingdom. There was no room for it in God's kingdom because it was sinful and it was wrong and it would taint the good work that was being done that God was doing. And so when we look at this in a very personal way, what God calls for us to do here is to root out these tendencies in our life where we feel we must rely on ourselves. To root out these tendencies to where we think it's up to us to earn God's favor. It's up to us to earn God's love. It's up to us to earn God's blessing. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, you've been speaking about that all through Galatians. Yes, that's what Galatians is about. But the problem is I still struggle with it. And I know that you still struggle with it as well because it's in us. 
We are checklist types of people. We want rules. As much as we say we don't want rules, we want rules. When we walk into the job, what am I supposed to do? Thank you for giving me my tasks. Now I can get them done. It seems to be the same with my relationship with God. God, will you please just tell me what in the world I am supposed to do to make you happy? Well, Tim, don't murder, don't, don't steal, don't lie. All right, thanks, I'm gonna follow these. That's what I think. Thank you, God, I'm gonna make you happy by following these laws that you've given me. But the problem with that is I end up drowning in the laws because I simply cannot make God happy by the law because I can't fulfill it. I simply can't fulfill it. I will always fall short of it. We're going to talk about that more tonight in 1 John, how sin and the believer, the relationship there. I'm always going to fall short of it. And so what I must do in my life is constantly be rooting out these tendencies, constantly be reminding myself of the truth. Tim, you did not earn God's favor. Tim, you did not earn God's salvation. God gave you salvation. God has made you a part of his family. Now, I have to say this on the side because this is definitely true. As we continue to sin as Christians, it does have an effect on our relationship with God. That's why we are called daily to go to him in repentance, daily to ask forgiveness of a sin because it does disrupt our relationship. But catch this, it never disrupts his love for you. Never. It never changes his love for you. Oh, we as humans are so fickle. It is so easy for me to fall out of favor with you. I know that because it happens. I see it. Oh, Pastor Tim saw me at Kroger and he didn't say anything. I probably didn't see you, but guess what? You think I don't love you. And now you don't love me. Why? Because I was looking at Oreos and not you. (laughs) And I'm the same way. You get a text from somebody. Well, what in the world did they mean by that? Well, now I'm mad at them. And now I'm angry at them. You see, we in our relationships, we're not good at it. But when God says he loves me, guess what? That's always and forever. Always and forever. And so I personally must just continue to try to rip out the roots that tell me, Tim, you must earn it. He says, Cast it out. Get it out of your house. Get it out of the way. And so you know what that means sometimes? Sometimes that means voices. Sometimes that means people in my life who continually try to tell me that I must earn it. And it's not easy. As I said, as we love people and we try to be the Christians that God has called us to be, we're gonna feel like Abraham in this situation. I don't wanna cast them out. I've known them my whole life. I've been best friends with them my whole life. I've been sharing the gospel with them and I want them to come to know the Lord, but they continue to tell me that I'm not worthy. They continue to tell me these things. And sometimes we have to root those those things out. And so not only personally am I trying to remove these, these tendencies that I have in my heart, but also relationally. I have to sometimes remove voices from my life that continually pull me into slavery. See, because what Paul really wants here is he wants the church to stand up and to look straight at those Judaizers and to let them know, get out of here. You are cast out. You're not welcome in here. You're not welcome among us anymore because what you are teaching to us is false. 
What you're teaching to us is not true. And now to be fair, if you were to listen to the Judaizer's story, I'm willing to guess 95% of what they were saying was accurate. 95% of what they were saying was true. But that 5% where they were telling me that in order to gain God's favor, I must do something was enough to say, get out of here. You don't have any place in my home. You don't have any place in my life. When we have dinner together, you are not welcome to come and sit and eat here because the promise is so much more important than this relationship that maybe we have. I know this to be a very difficult thing because this is something that I've lived before. Having to tell people, you're not a part of my life anymore. Maybe not for this exact reason, but it could be for some sin or for whatever to say, you have to understand the Bible to me is this important and God's word tells me to handle it this way. And it's, you cannot be a part of my life anymore. That is such a scary thing because I feel like when I do that, I'm putting them off into the wilderness all alone. And what really I hear and what church people will tell me is, shouldn't you keep a relationship with them so you continue to tell them the gospel, so you can continue to try to win them to the Lord? And can I tell you what that voice is? Man's work, man's initiative. Because if God tells me to cast them out, I'm not casting them out into the wilderness alone. They're still under God's care. They're still completely under God's control. And I need to tell you, this promise rings true because We've done, I've done this before, and I have seen God drastically change a person's life completely apart from me. And it was because of what, of holding true to God's word. That person would come back and say, I know the way I handled it wasn't right, but that had to be difficult for you as well. And what I saw is I saw you living according to God's word. I saw how important it was to you. And I want to tell you something, God broke me over that. Oh, that's the exact opposite of how Tim thinks it works. I think I've got to debate them. I think I've got to show them scripture. I've got to do all this stuff. But, oh, you mean to tell me if I live out scripture and I cast out sometimes how God calls you to do that, God can still work in the midst of it? Absolutely. And you thinking that you can do something different could be hindering that, could absolutely be hindering that. And so in our own lives, we've got to rip these tendencies out relationally, sometimes God would say, you have to remove this from your life. And I know I keep talking about people individually, but I really would make that much broader. The music you listen to, the things you watch on television, the voices that you allowed to be in your home or in your headphones, in your ears. Most of those voices are worldly. And most of those voices teach us that we can obtain everything ourselves. And I really would warn you against that. I really would warn you. You say, well, Pat, you're just being, a, you're just being no fun. No, I'm, I just see it in my life. I see how that stuff can creep in and I see the effect that it can have. So the question that remains for us this morning is to which do you belong? Are you a new covenant or are you an old covenant? Are you a child of Hagar, a slave? Are you a child of Sarah, the promise? Do you live your life in freedom? Are you continually living your life 
in bondage? Do you serve yourself in self-righteousness? Or have you accepted Christ's righteousness by the free gift of grace that God offers us? I want you to listen to these two things. I want you to ask which questions you ask more often or the phrases you say more often in your head. And I think it will help us in this battle. First section is this. If only I felt bad enough for my sin. If only I could do this better. If only I could overcome this. If only I could whatever. Or as more often in your head, in Christ, I am forgiven of my sin. In Christ, I can do all things. In Christ, I have overcome. In Christ, I am free. I was sitting there and just thinking about that in my own life personally and saying, God, man, which one is more often running around in my head? And again, just being very open and honest to you, both of those things run in my head. And it is a daily battle to remind myself, I don't, I don't have to worry about me doing better. Yes, I want to strive to be more like Christ. I want to read, my, read his word. I want to be the best Christian I possibly can be. I want to do that. And, I, and we need to strive for that. But I can't be weighed down by that. Instead, I need to be reminded of the promises that God has given me through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jesus, his son, that I am set free, that I can do all things through Christ because of what he does for me, that I have overcome the sins and the things of this world because of him and the power in me. It's because of Christ that I am free. Those are the truths that we must hold on to. Those are the things that we need to repeat in our head. That's what we need to go to in his word so that we can sustain, so that we can live. So this morning, which side are you on? Hagar or Sarah? Do you continue to rely on the old promises or have you surrendered yourself to the new? I'm gonna ask if you would, bow your head with me and close your eyes. We're gonna pray and then sing a song and then be dismissed this morning. The promise remains. For this morning, you've sensed the call of God in your life and the Holy Spirit is drawing you in and you say, I want to live in that new covenant. I don't wanna be held by the bondage of sin. I don't wanna keep trying on my own. I want that gift of grace. Well, then the good news is God is willing to give that gift of grace through his son. If you'll seek him even in prayer this morning, asking him to forgive you of your sins, that you would trust in him fully in Christ and what he has done. The Bible says you will receive that grace. So I hope that you'll do that this morning if God is leading you there. God, this morning, I ask that you would help us. God, I pray for those in this building who are believers, who have been saved by your grace. God, I ask that you would help all of us to not to continually fall back into our old ways of trying to justify ourselves before you. And God, so often it's so subtle. And God, I know that as I've grown in my relationship with you, you've helped me to see little tendencies here and there to where I continually rely on myself and I forget about all the promises that you've given me. God, help us to hold high your word. Help us to hold high to the truths of it. And God, to cement those on our hearts 
And God, every morning when we wake up to remind ourselves of the promises that are cemented before we start to think about that checklist that we must check off. God, so that when we go to bed at night, we can still remember your truths remain. And that even if we didn't check a single box, you still love us. We're still yours. We still can call you Father. God, I just pray for that peace in the hearts of those who are here this morning. Because God, I just have to believe many people are walking around in shame and guilt that you have forgiven them of already. They continue to hold on it, onto it by the deception of Satan. So God, I pray that they would see that truth. That you would implant it on their heart and give them that freedom and that joy, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of difficulties, to be able to rejoice and to know I am his and he is mine. God, as we sing this last song, help us to worship you. Help us to respond to your word how we should. Maybe it's come forward and pray or pray right where we are, whatever it may be. Help us to respond how we should this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.